Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined by Will Schroeder, my good friend and the Startups.com CEO and founder. Will, there's this narrative out there that, you know, we, we have to build these big things and that's how we get rich as founders, right? We, we build these bigger and bigger and bigger things and eventually we, we sell it and, and then we, we get rich at the end of that. And, you know, we, we talk to founders at all stages, and we, we pick up on this, this frustration for the ones that, you know, aren't there. Maybe you don't even have a plan to get there. How, how often is this coming up in your conversations with founders? It comes up all the time. Yeah. I, there's this, I, I don't know when this mythology got written, but it sure got written. That says, in order to be a, quote, successful startup founder, we've got to go big and we've got to sell. We've got to have an exit. And that's how yeah. you become a successful founder, you know, obviously yep. from a monetary standpoint. And I, I've never been able to quite figure out where the hell that came from, right? Or, or at least why that's so pervasive when the reality of how most founders make money is so opposite yeah. of that path. Yep. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's such a small number of outcomes that, that ever, ever achieve that level. And yet there are plenty of founders out there making gobs of money. Um, we just don't see it in the same way because it's not as obvious as like, you know, the guy with the, uh, <laughs> you said it, the, the, the guy standing there with the giant Powerball check, right? Like, okay, pretty obvious what happened to that guy. Yeah, like it's become so obvious that this person won, right? right. You know, you, you see them everywhere in the media and they sold a company for a billion dollars or they won IPO and there's so much pageantry around that outcome that we start to get kind of tricked into thinking, well, I guess that's the only way. If I don't do that, then I'm sort of screwed, right? Right. Which is bizarre to me because what that means is the only way to, to kind of get the success you're looking for, et cetera, is to pin all of your hopes on this wildly narrow sliver of opportunity and execute better than everybody and et cetera. And by the way, if you do, hats off, right? I mean, that's, right. that's still a wonderful thing to do. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, boy, if what you're talking about is achieving a level of financial success, right? And, and getting the, the things in life that you probably want and, and deserve, you know, to, by way of earning it, there are a lot of ways to get there. And an exit is actually not only the least likely, but the most likely that's going to turn into the opposite of what you're trying to do, which yeah, is abject say. failure, right? Right. And so what I've done over the years, uh, when I talk to founders that are kind of getting into this, especially young founders, because I think this is particularly poignant for them, I look at them and I say, look, there's a hundred different ways to become successful in what you're about to do. Having an exit just happens to be one of them, but it may not necessarily be the most likely it may not be the most compatible with actually how you want to live along the way. And again, if somebody pushes a big briefcase of money your way, don't push it back. Right, <laughs> Take <yeah>. it, right? <laughs> I'm all for that. But let's not pretend like that outcome is the only thing that's going to end up working for us. And I think we should unpack that today. We should talk about, you know, how what do these other outcomes look like? How much more viable are they? How do our personal wants and needs factor into all of this? Because usually that's sure. completely uncovered. And yep. at which point, if we've covered some of these bigger things in life, do we not even really need a lot of cash anymore? You know, I think we should dig in there. I think we should. And there's something that you, that you brought up that is, is always part of the narrative. 
when I'm talking to founders about this, and that's that sometimes these things become mutually exclusive, right? Where if, if I start to make decisions, I start to aim at that exit, all of my decision-making gets pointed towards growth, gets pointed towards scaling, gets pointed towards some sort of big liquid event at the end, I'm actually cutting off a lot of the other avenues completely that would allow me to become rich, develop profitable cash flow, all these other things that, that lead to founders being rich that don't involve the exit, right? So I think it's really important to understand that, because I think sometimes there's this thought that's like, well, I can aim for that, right? And I, it's just that phrase that I use all the time, right? Aim for the moon, clear the fence doesn't necessarily apply here. If you start making decisions to aim for growth instead of profitability, for example, or to aim for growth instead of sustainability, then all of a sudden you may be eliminating some of these other routes that could have really, really great outcomes for you that just simply aren't an exit. And I think that's a really, really important facet of what we need to talk about today. Yeah, I think what people are missing when they think about this whole startup thing is time. You know, a lot of your problems, so to speak, right, problems in air quotes, that need to be solved with regard to cash can actually just be solved by factor of time. And let me explain. Yeah. For many businesses and business owners that have been around for a minute, it's not that their businesses made so much money at once. It's just that they kept making money every year. And that had this stacking effect. And if you think about it, a lot of people would say, okay, a $3 million business throwing off $250,000 in profit isn't that big of a business. And, and, and maybe you could make an argument that in that snapshot, in that moment in time, $250,000 isn't a lot of profit. But if you keep making that $250,000, or more likely, it's not just you know a fixed number that just lasts forever, right? Just happened to land at 250 and we never went anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, and, and ideally that number grows. But even at 250, and 250 goes to 350 to 500, it gets up to 750, et cetera. Not only do those numbers start to really stack over time, they also come in contrast to what happens is early in life, you have all of these expenses. And it seems like, boy, in order to buy a house and a car and pay for education and all these things, that I've got to have this massive sum of money. Yes. And the truth is, you kind of don't. Because while those things have a fairly high, high price tag, probably relative to where we're at in life right now, there is a point at which we get past them. And I think, you know, as we get into this, we should start to, to dig into that. But the point of the stacking effect, as far as, you know, how that money stacks up, is that we don't have to have that big of a business. If that business generates a fair amount of cash every damn year. Yep. There's some point, there's like these kind of two curves moving in opposite directions, right? You've got your, your cash stack and you've got your expenses coming down year over year, theoretically at least. Like you can always go waste money. You can always find ways to spend it. Um, but like you're saying, some of these like the, the big ticket items start to peel off or start to become, you know, less impactful or, or a smaller amount of your total income. And there's some point at which that, that kind of crosses over, right? Those two lines meet. It made me, it made me think of that, uh, I'll probably butcher the quote, but it's something like wealth is wasted on the elderly and youth is wasted on the young. When you have the most needs for it, you have the least of it. And at that point where you do now start to generate more cash, you actually have a lot less need for it than you think you might. 
right? Unless you're in the yacht buying market, which most of us <laughs> Look, aren't. There's always a place you, you can take that cash. There's always somebody willing to take it from you. That's what oh, we built Las yeah. Vegas for. But I think right. over time, let's put it this way. If I was 22 years old, or really any point in my career, but I'm just going to start at 22, and I were to say, I want to build a startup, the first thing I would say is I want to build a startup that generates 250K per year of income. Yeah. And I want to be able to grow it from there. But that's my yep. goal. And I don't care if it becomes a $500,000 startup or a million, whatever it becomes, that's my goal. Because I'm not thinking in terms of the $250,000. I'm thinking about it as a, an annuity, an asset that sure. continues to, to pay those bills for the next 40 to 50 years and maybe longer. And I think about it in terms of once I've gotten over some of those hurdles, now having this annuity that continues to pay off is a huge deal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contrast that to the, the venture raising path, which has plenty of its own pros, and we'll talk about it in different podcasts. But one of the cons is that it often has me not taking that money home for yes. a really long period of time. Yep. You know, Five to seven years wouldn't be unusual to get paid very little while kind of doing it in service of the business. Yeah, this is one of those paths that I was talking about earlier, where like when you choose that route, it now eliminates other choices and there's really no backtracking against that. You can't go back to the VC and be like, you know what? Um, I've decided to, to not scale. We're just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna kind of lifestyle business this thing. I'd really like to put, you know, $250,000 in my pocket and $0 in your pocket for the next five to seven years, which is what they're telling you, right? <laughs> they, they will not accept the, the answer in the inverse, right? They, they will not accept you telling them that that's what you wanna do. You know, early in my career, you know, I think we talked about this in another podcast. I had an opportunity to kind of just pay off the big ticket items, right? Yep. And I remember I bought a house. I bought a couple cars. I bought um, furniture, which, you know, people don't think about, but it does add up. Till you go to buy it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I paid off my education, what little of it there was. And what was interesting about that was like the next day I woke up and I had nothing to, to buy. Now, I came up with some stuff because you know yeah. I was 22 and I had you know, right. a life ahead of me, but, but, but here's my point. It was the first time I saw why the rich get richer. Because they've already paid their stuff off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, now because, it can stack a lot faster. Well, so this, this really interesting thing happens, and it sounds so obvious now, but I put a little bit of money in the bank, in the market, and that money threw off a little bit of cash, and it started paying whatever bills that I had. And I started thinking, well, boy, what if I were to, if I make more money again, actually, if I make the same amount of money, yeah, but I don't have to pay bills with it and right. I just put it in the market, the longevity and the time element of even making a reasonable amount of cash will make you rich. That's, yeah. it's as simple as that. Compound right? interest. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the whole point is, I think as we discussed in the top of the episode, we're so friggin' overwhelmed with this idea that I have to have a big exit, I have to get the big check. When the way to achieve most of our goals is actually pretty damn straightforward, right? Yeah. It, it, it's also the reason, and I've been watching this, Ryan, I'm 46 years old as we record this, and a lot of my friends now are in kind of like the prime of their careers, right? Like if they're in consulting careers, wealth yeah, management, yeah. or you know whatever yep. whatever careers they chose, their, their W-2 jobs. Peak earnings, yep. And Here's what I've watched. Some of them have, have gotten fairly wealthy, right? You know, they, they've, they started early, they rose up, you know, they just kept getting those checks. 
and, and some of them have gotten really, really wealthy because while the rest of us were starting and stopping, starting and stopping, they were always getting paid. Now, they don't exactly love their jobs the way a lot of us do. And, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons there, but there is something incredibly powerful about always getting paid. Yeah. I'm contrasting that to the never getting paid version of running a startup, right? Even optimizing for a little bit of profit in, you know, being able to, to add a little and take a little home has a dramatic effect that you really just need time to realize. Okay, so let's let's talk about how this all plays out. Like, you know, financially, you know, we, we talked about there are some there's some kind of like front-loaded costs to life, right? There's some big things that you need to buy. You talked about buying the house, the car, paying off your education. Yes, let's put those into finite terms. Let's let's talk about these the big ticket items and what they actually cost. Because you and I both know that, you know, we, we hear, you know, founders talk about this all the time and not taking pot shots at the young founders, but they'll come in with these numbers. They're like, well, you know, if I just had, you know, if I could just, you know, get just, all I need is 10 million and then I'm good for life. All I need is 50 million and then I'm good for life. Like the reality is you'd be good with probably far less, but, but there, they, there's these numbers that get kind of floated around that to me are well larger than, than people's actual needs. Yeah, and even their wants, you know. So, so yeah, you know, I, I want to circle around that. So, if you were to say to most founders, "How much money do you need?" And again, just like you said, Ryan, they'll come up with a round number, you know, yep. five million, ten million, a hundred million, whatever the number is, and then you follow up with, "What specifically are you going to use that money for?" Sure. Right. They always say the same thing: "I'm going to buy a house, a uh, nice car. Uh, I want to do some angel investing, and you know, I want to have fuck you money so that I don't ever have to work again." Right. Okay. Okay. And now how much is that exactly? Down to the penny. How much is that? Right. And you get this blank stare. 10 and 10 million and $1 billion. And kind of cynically, here's how I would respond to that. Are you telling me that you're going to bet your entire life and everything that you're doing on a number that you haven't spent 10 minutes thinking <laughs> through? How, the, the how idiotic yes. is that? Yeah, I know it does. It sounds, it sounds really stupid, right? But I only know it sounds stupid because I did it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I had this moment early in, in the, the first startup that I did where we had a, a large consulting company that was going to buy us for cash. And, and I remember thinking, okay, uh, you know, here's what I'll net out of that. And what, how will I spend it? You know, I basically just ran a spreadsheet and I said, okay, yeah. how, how exactly am I going to spend it? And here's where that spreadsheet got really telling. And this is why it's, it's always, it changed my life after that. Uh, I put house. I put a couple cars. I put a boat, even though I didn't actually want a boat. I just assumed that's, that's what you're supposed to buy. I, I, remember, I remember you having one. Oh, yeah. I had a boat, not a yacht, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did it, did it ever? I mean, I, I don't remember it getting wet very often was the thing. Like, to your point of like, I, you, you bought one because you were supposed to, because you had enough money to buy one, but you didn't actually want one. Yeah, it's 100% true, and I still don't. But, but sticking with that theme. <laughs> so I write all these things down. And I made a couple junior mistakes. The first thing I did is I have to buy everything in cash. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. <laughs> the worst use of cash ever. If you think buying a house in cash makes any sense, you need a lesson in economics and investing. But, but I made that mistake. And here's the truth. When you get beyond a house, there really aren't that many super ultra expensive things to buy. Again, the world is filled with places to take your money. I'm not sure. saying that. I'm saying things where you're like, man, if I don't have this, you know, I'm screwed. I, I totally right. missed the boat. And, and I would say this, 
if things go just wildly well and you have a massive outcome and you're just sitting on a Scrooge McDuck amount of cash, <laughs> go buy a Bugatti. Sure, fine. Yeah. yeah. But but I don't think it's worth taking a ridiculous amount of risk when we could potentially find some paths that actually do pay off if that's not actually what you plan on buying anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, why why are you designing your business around these things that you, A, haven't fully considered the cost of, and B, don't even really know if you want, and now you're going to start making decisions that, again, can eliminate other pathways to victory that don't involve that exit simply because you've built up this list of things that you think you want. Now, well, the other junior mistake was, did you include a line item for Tito's um, in your spreadsheet? Oh, no, I should have, because that's actually where all my money went was to, yes. to delicious yeah. gimlets. <laughs> <laughs> what I realized when I, when I ran through that exercise, and what I implore other founders to do the same, is to come up with what that number is. Here's why. Yeah. That number, when I talk to lots of founders, et cetera, is rarely more than a couple million dollars. And that's the core of everything we're talking about right now. Yep. When you're talking about getting rich, getting all those things that you want, and you're thinking about, oh my God, it must take all this money, and it just doesn't relative to what you're thinking. Correct. It makes you go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, I could get there a hundred different ways. Right. If your number's low enough, you can just get a job and, and accomplish it. I'm not saying That's you should, thing. but I'm saying you could. Yeah. Yep. What what that spreadsheet will rarely ever say is Ryan, unless you have hundred and fifty million dollars, you're screwed. Yeah. Right? Like, well, <laughs> it just doesn't I either sense. have to beat Elon or I won't get any of the things I want in life. Right. It's just it's just not how it works. Um and just to hammer on this one one more time, because I think this is important. The, and we talked about this in another podcast, right? Aim for the likelihood of the outcome, not the size. And that, that's a lot of what we're actually talking about here, which is to say that like going for the exit, you are aiming at something that is far, far less likely to happen than building a business that throws off 250 and then 350 and then five and then 700 and then a million dollars in cash a year, right? The, the, there's an exponential curve of likelihood of failure there. Correct. I think folks think it's linear. It's not at all. Right. If I just shoot for the stars and I come up shy, I'll you know I'll still have X amount of money. That's not I'll the land way the, the decision tree works. <laughs> right? No, it's not. And so I think what's interesting about this, and again, having talked to a gazillion founders, actually recently, this was a week ago, I was in a founder group. Each of the founders in the group had had an eight-figure exit. So uh, you know, fair amount of cash. And, uh, and they were all on their second or third startup uh, after yeah. that. So this was in the, in the past. And I asked them, I said, right now, it, when you look at your day-to-day, what costs you a lot of money, right? You know, where do you spend a lot of money? And yeah. nobody could come up with something even remotely expensive, right? And they all lived in major cities. So this wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, hey, I live in the middle of nowhere. You know, places right. that, are, that are historically expensive. And I said, okay, where did the most amount of your money go? And no surprise, it went to housing. Right, uh, one guy bought a really expensive golf membership, you know, and a few things. And I said, okay, if you were to go nuts with your money right now, and you can because you have it, where would you put it? No answers. Six different people, no answers, right? Yep. And they've had like a decade to think about it, right? Because <laughs> these guys have made money for a while. I'm glad they've and still so, got it. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. And so, what I'm trying to say is, I think people's idea of what being rich is or having money is is so incredibly broken that it, it causes them 
to make these really silly estimates. I mean, you know, they're just, their estimates of what they need are so broken. And, and I, I want to decouple another place where people take this because I think it's, if folks aren't convinced by now, they're, they're probably thinking, well, you're overlooking a big thing, which is the fuck you money, right? Yeah. I need to have enough cash in the bank that I never have to worry about money again. And you, Ryan, you and I have dedicated some episodes to just this yes. point. Yep. In fact, 250 was the number that we came up with, which is that's that point that it's a very meaningful exit, even $250,000. Correct. There are kind of two levels to this. One is enough cash in the bank that I still need to earn money, but if something goes wrong, I have enough cash to probably fix it. There aren't that many problems that exceed, call it $250,000 worth of cash. Uh, So that's one level, obviously easier to get to. The second one is is what everybody optimizes for, which is, I think is where this thing starts to break, which is how much money I need in the bank earning, say, 5 or 10% in order to live this incredible lifestyle and only live off the interest, right? Yeah, or yeah. have enough so that you know, in, in my, my final years, I can live off the principal, what have you. And here's the thing. They often make that, that, that claim when they're in their 20s or 30s, <laughs> when basically they have their entire life to work and earn yeah. money. Yeah. They, it feels like, look, if you have, like, if that outcome presents itself, awesome, take it, right? We're not saying the outcome is bad. We're not saying it's not a cool outcome. We're saying that it's probably not going to happen. It's the least so let's not put outcomes. all our chips only on that outcome. Correct. Because our fear, Ryan, is that the founder puts all their chips on this kind of undefined, poorly defined outcome and then makes a whole bunch of decisions in this decision tree that only map to that outcome. Yes. And they wind up with nothing. Right? That's, that's what I'm trying to really avoid. hurts. And that's, that's exactly it. Right. So we, we keep, we keep circling back around to this, but like taking on venture will do this to you because it starts to change your decision-making. But even if you just mentally, you're in this position where you've decided that you need this particular outcome, this level of income, this type of money, your private jet, whatever it is, your decisions will be colored by those expectations and they will dictate outcomes. And unfortunately, statistics tell us they will dictate bad outcomes, right? For the vast majority of people who go that path. Correct. And here's the thing. If you could focus on a business that generates, you know, the 250K, the 500K, the million dollars a year, number one, you probably will never have to do anything else. And I think people, yep. nobody tells you this, right? Yeah. Number two, it doesn't mean you stop growing. <laughs> if you want to keep growing it, and then sell it for you know a billion dollars later. Yeah, do that too. This isn't an either or proposition. You know, typically, I think the way this has been kind of miscategorized is you either raise a bunch of money and you have a big exit, or you get shipped off into this land of the the lifestyle businesses where you wallow <laughs> in your own insignificance. Right? It's kind of yeah. like yeah, the world doesn't actually work like that at all. Not at all. <laughs> No, I think this is, you know, this is where, you know, ego comes into play. Um, I think this is where the, the shit narrative that is, that is the, the, the startup media narrative right now comes into play. There's so many things that, that are setting the wrong expectations for people, just absolutely bad expectations for a, what it takes to be rich, um, what it means to you individually when you get there how you actually get there. It's such a skewed perspective. And I think I'm really glad we're talking about this today because I feel like this is one of those things where I have this conversation all the time where I was talking to somebody a couple of years ago and this one always comes back to me, but he was like, I've started running this business and you know, 
it's only making 120,000 a year and I can't seem to grow it any further. And I said, well, what were you doing before this? And he was like, I was, uh, I, I was a paramedic. And I was like, what were you making as a paramedic? He was like, oh, about 42 uh, a year. And I said, so you three X your income and you don't have to work overnight and you don't have to deal with like traumatic scenes and like, and, and you don't consider this some kind of a win. He's like, well, but like, it's supposed to get bigger, right? It's supposed to keep getting like, and I was like, well, what else has changed? And he was like, well, you know, we bought our house, you know, we were living in an apartment with our three kids in an apartment. I literally can't imagine three kids in an apartment. And, and now they, they own a house. They bought a vacation property that they're now generating rental income from. I'm like, um, so like you're, you are succeeding, right? And you're growing, you are growing, right? You're generating more money. You're generating equity in that home. You're doing all these other things. He's like, yeah, I guess I just, I just really hadn't thought about it that way. And pretty much Nobody thinks about it that way, and it blows my mind. You know, when I talk to founders about when did you start to feel rich, you know, those that are successful in their own yeah. right, incidentally, very often, it's, it's never when they say when they've exited, right? Now, some have never, you know, haven't exited, so that's obviously not yeah, part yeah. of the conversation, but even those that have, like, like the folks that I was talking to in a founder group in the past, yep. past week. And so I asked them, and I really wanted to unpack this because it became a really fascinating discussion, and I said... At which point did you guys feel like, you know, you were wealthy? And simply put, they collectively said, it's when our earnings outstripped our needs. Yeah. <laughs> which, that, it's about the easiest thing to achieve ever, right? <laughs> but they didn't plan it this way. So I just want to explain kind of what actually happened. Yeah. Right? yeah. They, they, they all came to the same conclusion but not in the way people think. And like people are like, oh, well, they all exited. So when they got that massive check, you know, their earnings obviously outstripped their needs. So they were good. Yeah. No. Here's the thing. It happened before all the exits. Sure. Right. And, and, and here's, here's exactly what the triggers were. I think we landed on roughly call it three factors that, that made them all feel like, okay, you know, uh, now I'm ahead in life. The first was once they were able to buy a house usually, but like kind of cover off on some of the big ticket items. There was this really interesting thing where when we don't have that stuff, we're so preoccupied with yeah, getting yeah. it, right? Gotta get it, gotta get it, gotta get it. Yep. All of our time. But once we do have it, like that headspace is gone. There's just, there's nothing to think about anymore, mm -hmm. right? And so all of a sudden, they woke up one day in their new house and they looked around like, well, shit, uh, now what? Now, now, here's where it started to compound. So the, the second factor was they started to have, like I was telling you when I, when I was younger, this extra cash come in. Yeah. And they were like, huh, for my entire life, all of my cash has been spoken for. Yes. It went to rent, it went to a lease, it went to you know, whatever. Yeah. This is weird. This is cash that isn't spoken for. And it didn't even need to be a lot. No. Nope. And so they just put it in an account and it started to earn money. And they're like, wait, wait a minute. Every time I make more, I'll actually start making more, which right. is the polar opposite of what was happening a moment ago before you bought that house. Because <laughs> yeah. every time you made a dollar, it just got socked away in yeah. hopes for buying that house. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, the money started to grow, which increased their base income, but their needs started to come down exponentially. Yep. Again, this is you that could, point where those curves cross and all of a sudden magic happens. Exactly. It's why older people tend to be rich because they paid everything off and now, yeah. they, now they have all, you know, uh, uh, investable cash. Um, well, it turns out dinners are less expensive at four o'clock too. 
<laughs> I'm sure I'm about to find that out soon. But but the last thing, and again, this is, this sounds so obvious when I say it, but it'd be surprising how often it doesn't come up in startup uh, chatter, is along the way, the business itself continues to grow. Yeah. So if I've got my 250K net income business, that turns into a 500K business, that turns into a 750K, and let's say it just stops, right? Or it grows by 10%, you know, some not crazy number, but it's, yeah. it continues Still. to stack. It kind of doesn't matter anymore because you don't need that cash for anything because you spent it on the stuff you already needed. And secondarily, all that money is going into a compounding account anyway. So you've got the business growing and adding more cash. You've got your accounts, you know, your your trade accounts or your investment accounts uh, growing. And you've got this entire life where shit's paid for. Right. Right. And it wasn't until they saw all three of those things happen that it clicked. Like, okay, that was 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 how I get you know rich without having to sell. Ironically, they also went on to sell. <laughs> yeah. But, right. but but that moment came long before. Isn't it funny how, how often that, that turns out to be the case that when you build a business that routinely makes good net income and continues to grow even modestly, that your chances of selling the thing go up and up and up? Yeah. Well, also, uh, there's another really powerful effect, Ryan, that a lot of founders don't consider is not having to sell. Yeah. Right? Whereby yeah. you can sell. And, and by all, all means, again, this isn't an anti-sell discussion. This is more of a, but what if I don't have to, right? And some people actually enjoy to? running their business. We that's enjoy the, the hell out of running our business. Yes, that's the thing, right? Right. We've talked about this. We, there's an entire episode on this you can check out, which is, you know, what, what actually happens when we sell? What's the cost of selling our company? And there's a whole lot to unpack there. And that's why we did an entire episode on it. But yeah, it's, it's a really valid point. Like, if you don't need to, if the business is enough of an ATM that you're never withdrawing more cash from it than, than you actually need to do all the things that you want, selling it may not be the right answer, right? And that comes down to personal circumstance and desire and lots of things. But I mean, I always remember like back in school, people telling me like, uh, you know, gosh, you know, I just want to, want to get out of school. I want to crush it. you know, I want to, I want to be retired by the time I'm 40 and I'm thinking, and what, like die by 45? Like what, what do you, what do you, why, why, like, what are you going to do with yourself? Right. Not, not that, you know, I don't enjoy having free time, but you know, that was one of the places where I started to feel rich was when I had a little bit more free time and I didn't need to be spending every waking hour thinking, worrying, focused on money, growth, accumulating the assets that we needed as a family and, and could start to just take some little luxuries in life. And it turns out those little luxuries were the things that made me the happiest and continue to do so. So again, like I think a big part of this is, big part of just being honest with yourself about what you actually want and need. You know, you covered that really well earlier, uh, but just to say it again, like, if you go through that spreadsheet exercise, private jet probably doesn't need to be on there, right? It's not going to change your life as much as having a little extra time or being able to spend it however you want. Now, okay, private jet will gain you back a little extra time, but I'd argue for the $120 million it costs to buy it and the you know millions of dollars a year it costs to operate it, probably easier ways to get that time back. <laughs> well, there's another side of it, though. At which point, Ryan, the business is covering our costs, creating wealth, et cetera, we have a massive amount of optionality at that point. Yeah. I don't yep. think anybody is worried about what to do when they get to that point. I think folks are so hung up on how do I create something that generates some exponential exit when in reality, they just don't have to. 
They can create something that, that creates a, just a good, solid, consistent return, and it gets them to the same place. The exponentiality is still there. It just comes in a different way, right? Like it truly grows exponentially, all right, as opposed to growing linearly, and then there's an exponential leap up to that pointed exit, right? Where then like all of a sudden it just, it all happens. <laughs> I remember yeah. being in university and a professor getting up on, on stage it was a large, large auditorium and super popular marketing professor uh, back in the day. He got up on stage and, and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you all how to get rich today. And then the next thing that, that came up on the screen was a photo of a Ford Taurus station wagon. And, and his whole thing was, this is my car. Right. You know, and, and he was he was a very well paid tenured professor at that point who had also, you know, made money from a, a lot of other things. But your point, like he got to that point where he could start to put his money to work for him. Fairly well known investor. But he said that was the, the, the original key was his Ford Taurus that he kept for 22 years <laughs> and because he paid it off in three. He no longer had a car payment for the next like 18 years. Right. And so, you know, that was his first shot at being able to exponentially stack cash. He said, because I just then put whatever little into maintenance and the rest went into an investment account and continued to earn interest and grow year after year after year. And he showed us the math on it. And it was pretty funny, but it did. It, it ended up you know, compounding fairly reasonably. But over that period of time, it, it compounded like a million and a half dollars because he chose to keep driving this Ford Taurus station wagon. And I just feel like that narrative has gotten lost somewhere. Right, you know, yeah. particularly among founders, and yep. it concerns me because what we're talking about within the, the realm of startups and risk and outcome are there are very achievable, repeatable paths. Uh, nothing's guaranteed, but but certainly achievable paths that many founders can get to to accomplish all the things that they want to accomplish without having to put themselves over a barrel of risk that they'll never get back from. And I think at its core. That's what we're trying to get folks back to. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. Thank you.